Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Chris and Nick Show. Now, I understand you're probably realizing right now that something's a little off, a little different from the usual podcast introduction. And, you know, that might be because I am not Nick Filato. I'm Chris Flum. Nick isn't with me this week. Instead, brought in a ringer, got Rivka Board, one of the other writers, our great statistician at Big Blue View to join me. So, you know, you don't have to just listen to me yammer to myself for about, oh, 20 minutes, half an hour, however long this takes. So, uh, Rivka, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk uh, to talk ball, though, you know, just in terms of what we're going to talk about. It might seem like same old, same old, but it's still always just just fun to to do these shows. So I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, every game really does have its own story. And you know, I think right now the story with the Giants has to begin with their injuries because they have so 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 many injuries right now yeah we got maybe a little bit of good news on the injury front on thursday with jalen hyatt and Kayvon thibodeau progressing in the concussion protocol they have a chance to play this weekend which would obviously be good for the offense and defense but adore jackson is still in the concussion protocol evan neal is still dealing with the ankle injury that kept him out last week bobby okereke is dealing with a hip injury. He he did practice on Thursday, but that is something to just be aware of. Then we've got Deontay Banks dealing with an ankle injury, Saquon Barkley dealing with his ankle injury, Cordell Flott dealing with a shoulder injury, Xavier McKinney with a rib injury, Xavier Pinnock with an ankle injury and a thumb injury, Wondell Robinson with a knee injury, and then Andrew Thomas with that knee injury that saw him carted off the field, but he did come back on. So yeah, so, so many injuries for the Giants right now. Yeah, it's it's I mean, it's just crazy how this team year after year seems to get absolutely annihilated by by injuries. And it's funny actually. I started um I started writing I, I don't remember which article it was, but maybe earlier in the week and I was going to say something like, "Oh, their defense has been relatively intact." And then you see the list of defensive players on the injury report and I'm like, "Okay, scratch that one." Yeah, the, the Giants have a very frustrating habit of doing that, of, of forcing you to just completely scrap whatever you were working on and come up with either a completely new premise or adapt on the fly to a brand new reality. I honestly can't imagine how it must be for their coaches. Yeah. I mean, trying to plan like that, you know, it's just impossible. Like, you know, you just even think about the fact that, you know, for example, if Deontay Banks didn't play just the style changes not even though banks hasn't you know has has struggled recently things change a lot cordell flott you know been been you know overall one of the giants better better defensive backs this year you know if he didn't play like things change if mckinney's not in there forget about it even though again he's underachieved this year pinnock like pinnock is one of you know very important he was a big part of their of their blitzing in the last game it's just, uh, it, yeah, I can imagine if we're having trouble like figuring out what to do, what the coaches have to go through to try to make a make some sort of game plan. Um, yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, just, just look at the last couple games in the span of a few quarters. He went from Tyrod Taylor, who in a small sample size was actually playing pretty well out there. He gets hurt. Tommy DeVito comes in. Then... Daniel Jones comes back from the neck injury, that disc injury, and then he basically immediately ruptures his Achilles, I'm sorry, his ACL, and then he's done for the rest of the year. Tommy DeVito is back in. 
And so with all of that, it kind of isn't surprising that the Giants are a nine, uh, well, 9.5, according to Yahoo, as I'm, as I sit here, point underdog on the road to the Washington Commanders, a team they beat by a touchdown just a couple weeks ago. And part of that is because Tommy DeVito, undrafted rookie, remains their starter. But, you know, that's just kind of the state of things right now. You know, and, and this is this is the thing that you know. It's easy to say, you know, maybe they they, it's, they should find someone who at least is a competent NFL quarterback. But there's really not. It was kind of slim pickings, and you know, you have your starter, you have your backup. The Giants had Giants had a competent backup who could hold the fort down. Just when that guy gets injured, how many teams have even a a, a decent third string quarterback? They're just there just aren't that many, and so you know they're really stuck with a guy who it's very evident should not be on an NFL field. Yeah. Basically nobody has a Brock Purdy except for the San Francisco 49ers. And that's really a situation like Victor Cruz was uh, pretty much a decade ago. Well, more than a decade ago at this point where you have a guy that nobody was really expecting much of anything out of. And he turns out to be a complete revelation that just does not happen. At least not on any kind of regular consistent predictable basis if you have an a undrafted free agent rookie which is basically what brock purdy was last pick in the draft you might as well be a priority free agent at that point yeah nobody's mm-hmm. expecting you to expecting that player to step in and win games for you nobody's expecting that player to even make the team or do much more than run the scout team, which is what Tommy DeVito has been doing. But now the giants are kind of forced to rely on him. I honestly wouldn't have much more faith in Matt Barkley or Carson Wentz really. Exactly. I mean, that that's one thing that interested me um, was, you know, some Carson Wentz conversation, because if you watch Carson Wentz's last season in Washington, I mean, he was atrocious. Like, people always remember, it's like, oh, he threw 27 touchdowns a couple years ago. You know, some people are still looking back to his days in Philadelphia and still have this delusion from, you know, by now, like seven years ago, that he could be, that he still has some of that left in him. Carson Wentz is, you know, I can't say he's not better than Tommy DeVito, but that the, the difference is not that great. Yeah, it's certainly not as great as the difference in name recognition, which I think is what drives a lot of it. Like, okay, yeah, Cam Newton's still out there, but have we watched Cam Newton play recently? I, I, again, I would honestly rather just have the undrafted rookie for the difference in salary and really all of that. It, it wouldn't make a huge difference other than maybe generate some momentary excitement when it got announced that they signed this quarterback whose name you knew three years ago. Yeah. So the only name that I was ever interested in, and this is not exactly a great name, but a guy who could actually technically be a semi-competent quarterback is our old friend Colt McCoy, but he, I haven't heard him on anyone's radar. So I don't know if he just decided to retire without really retiring or if he I don't know exactly what happened there but that was the only name out there that if the Giants were interested in I would have said okay take a shot at him yeah and I think he's kind of in the same tier as Matt Barkley where he the difference is that 
Barkley is at least familiar with Brian Dayball and the offensive True. language. True. That, that makes sense. I, I, I do feel like McCoy is slightly more competent than, than, than Barkley. Like Barkley was more of a third string quarterback, whereas McCoy played a little bit more uh, second, you know, as a, as a backup, but it's, it's a marginal difference again. Yeah, definitely. So this, this does kind of bring us around sort of to the game at hand against the Washington commanders mentioned before the giants beat them by a touchdown a couple weeks ago. I believe that was uh, week seven, but you know, there have been some changes on the Washington side and you know, we'll talk about that when we talk about their defense, but I'm more interested in the changes to their offense because it seems like the beatdown the Giants defense gave them when these teams last saw each other was kind of a wake-up call. I mean, yeah, in the last few games, Sam Howell has kind of just been throwing it all around the yard. And um, they, they, they seem to have also, like, figured something out with their with their I don't know if it's their offensive line or what it is but he's not getting sacked quite as much and you know 397 yards four touchdowns against the Eagles um you know he's thrown eight touchdowns and two picks in the last last few weeks so he's they've they've obviously gone somewhere and that's with you know Curtis Samuel missed the game um you know so they had and Samuel had been their number two for before that, that he had been getting the second most targets. So just, you know, just kind of spreading the ball around, just hitting different players. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what changed that to make him get sack less. Like I looked at it, they changed centers right after that game. They, they switched to Tyler Larson, but Larson statistically has been worse than Nick Gates was. So I, I'm, I've heard people say, oh, he's contributed, but he's given up fewer sacks by you know has a lower sack rate but he's given up much more pressure so i'm not i'm not exactly I, I wouldn't necessarily believe that that's the reason maybe maybe it's just how finding getting through his progressions quicker or just knowing when to throw it away and i think that is kind of an underrated uh contributing factor to the sack rate that Howell was well you can't exactly say enjoying down there in washington <laughs> yeah the thing that really stuck out to me about Washington's offense in that first game was just how slow the operation was, particularly when you would see Wink Martindale overload one side of the offensive line, uh, walk guys up to the line of scrimmage. And you knew just, you absolutely knew everyone in the stadium knew the giants were going to send five, six rushers. They were going to bring the heat and Eric the was still calling five step drops it was still taking Sam Howell three, four seconds to work through his reads. He just, he wasn't throwing the ball away. He wasn't throwing to his hot read. And you have to wonder if they emphasized just getting the ball out quicker after seeing how much the Giants blitzed and how much that presser, pressure completely disrupted their offense. I mean, if you look at it, Howell still ranks his actually his actual time to throw isn't necessarily his average time to throw isn't necessarily um so like so bad so long but what he is is he has the third fewest passes released in under two and a half seconds of any court I think it was the third fewest something like that he meaning for the most part most of his passes take 
or a much larger proportion than other quarterbacks um, of his passes take him more than two and a half seconds to release the ball. And that would definitely correlate with higher sack rates because especially against a team that blitzes, but in general, you know, the longer you take to get the ball out, the more time the, the defense has to, has to get, you know, has to get home. Now I'm just looking at his time to throw in the last three weeks. And it's really not that different than it was before in the only week that he really got it out faster was in week eight against Philadelphia when he averaged 2.48 seconds to throw, which is 12 seconds less than his other previous season low. So he's averaging 2.81 seconds is two point. Most of his games have been in the 2.8, 2.9 range, but against the giants, he actually got it out in 2.6, which is fast for him. Um, it just didn't, you know, just didn't, it didn't, it didn't translate. He, the giants were getting home too fast and, and he was still was, he was still sacked a lot. Yeah. And a big part of that was Dexter Lawrence, just eating the interior of their offensive line alive. And, you know, it should be noted they were on, I believe their fifth string center. Um, by the time Tommy DeVito was on the field for that game, you know, they, May as well have. Oh wait, I'm sorry. I completely. You're talking about that. You're talking, I was about, talking the about the Jets, Jets game. game. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's been yeah, that but, kind of but, day. But 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 Lawrence had yes. eight pressures and and two sacks against Washington also. Yeah. So if I feel like if Washington cannot slow down Dexter Lawrence, we will see at least something like the disruption that we saw the first time around, even if the Giants don't have Kayvon Thibodeau back healthy now. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that Lawrence is the biggest X factor for the Giants defense. I mean, he's only had two pressures and no sacks the last two weeks, um, which directly contributes to the, to just the struggles because he's really the only guy who this year has gotten consistent pressure. Thibodeau's had his games, but a lot of times it's more, he gets one pressure and then he turns out into a sack rather than consistently applying pressure. So, but Lawrence has a real chance because as I mentioned, you know, he, he plays a lot of nose tackle and zero or one tech and, uh, and Washington center gives up, I mean, pressure galore. So if, if the giants can get that going again with Lawrence, it could, they, they can still wreak havoc, even if they don't have Thibodeau. And even if some of these other injuries happen, and even if they don't, they don't have an edge rush or anything like that. Yeah. Now I would say the other X factor in this matchup between the Giants offense and the Washington, I'm sorry, the Washington offense and the Giants defense is on the outside in the passing game because the Giants secondary is beat up. Dory Jackson is still in the concussion protocol. Uh, Cordell Flott, Deontay Banks, they're both dealing with injuries. Meanwhile, Terry McLaurin is still quite good. Jahan Dotson is very promising as a second-year receiver. And if Curtis Samuel plays, he is very good. And also, Brian Robinson Jr. is showing up in the receiving game as well. He was Washington's leading receiver against the Seattle Seahawks. Now, the Giants have actually been playing very well at the second level. Their linebackers, I would say, have been a strength of this defense, which is really, really weird to say weird in a good way, but still just weird considering the state of giants linebacker play since I don't know, Armstead played 
maybe since Carl Banks exactly. played. So, yeah, but I, I am a little worried about the Giants, just all the injuries they have in their secondary holding up against these very talented wide receivers, particularly when Wink Martindale wants to send blitzes because he's going to blitz. blitz. Wink is going to wink. Yeah, he definitely will. So first of all, I don't know if the loss of a Dory Jackson at this point is that uh, meaningful just because he's played so poorly this year. It's really been consistent. Even when they moved him out of the slot, he just hasn't been good. But And Deontay Banks, he started off pretty well. He played pretty well for the first, I don't know, six, six weeks of the season, something like that. But then the last four, I mean, he's been giving up, I think, six catches for 98 yards per game. That's the average. So, he, you know, that that's even if he does play, that's going to be a struggle. And then Cordell Flott, who actually has played reasonably well, if, if they miss him, I mean, who are they going to even be starting at corner, cornerback? Uh, Hawkins and Nick McLeod and Darnay Holmes? Like, that's a, scare, a scary prospect. You know, McLaurin very often has, has big games against the Giants. Um, Dotson was actually held without a catch last week. But the thing about Howell is that he's been spe- spreading the ball around a lot. So he has McLaurin has the most targets. He has 77. But after that, then you have Samuel Dotson and Logan Thomas, who have, you know, in the 50 to 55 range of targets. And then you also have, you mentioned Brian Robinson last week, but An- Antonio Gibson has been their primary receiving back. He, he's actually, he's, he's, I think he's questionable. He didn't, he either didn't practice. He was limited with a toe injury, but he Gibson has been there receiving back Robinson can can catch he just they have a lot of different options so it's it's not just about the Giants top end and covering McLaurin but it's about all the different guys that they have to catch so even if let's say for example Carrigan does a great job on the running back and or tight end there are just there are so many levels of the defense of you know levels of their offense that can that can beat you and you know these might not be major names, but when you take taken all together, especially when you consider the Giants' injuries and and p- perhaps their lack of complete lack of depth on defense, <laughs> it's it's going to be it's going to be a big challenge. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it really is. And I, if the Giants aren't able to win the line of scrimmage and aren't able to disrupt Sam Howell, it could be a very long afternoon for them. I mean. If that does wind up being the case, at least it's a one o'clock game. They're not making us wait until four o'clock or you know seven thirty prime time to watch a, another long game for the Giants. But right now, we're going to flip over to ads, pay some bills, and then we'll be back, be back to talk about Washington's defense. All right, and welcome back, everybody. Yeah, you know, we just spent quite a bit of time talking about Washington's offense, the Giants defense, how the two sides match up. And now it's time to flip over to the Giants offense, such as it is. And it isn't much at this point. And Washington's defense, which, as we mentioned at the very top of the show, has undergone some pretty significant changes since the last time these two teams met. Yeah, I mean they've got getting losing both or trading both Montez Sweat and Chase Young is going to make a pretty radical change uh, on the defensive side of the ball. The question is if it even matters in this game. 
Yeah, that that really is the question because they still have Deron Payne. They still have uh, John Allen. Those two guys are two of the top defensive tackles in the NFL. Yeah, I would personally put at this point Dexter Lawrence ahead of either one of them. But together against the Giants interior offensive line with a promising rookie, but still rookie John Michael Schmitz and Justin Pugh and Ben Bredesen at right guard. Yeah, that is that is not a great matchup for the Giants, particularly with Tommy DeVito at quarterback. He was athletic, but he is still really adjusting to the NFL game as a whole. So Washington's defense still has the ability to be very disruptive against the Giants offense. Now, it's everybody else around the DeVito and the offensive line that we have questions about as well. Jalen Hyatt is in the concussion protocol. He has a chance to play, but he hasn't been activated yet as of Thursday. Wandell Robinson is dealing with an injury. Saquon Barkley, he is he is going to be dealing with that high ankle sprain for the remainder of the season. And I think we've kind of all expected the Giants offense to flow through Saquon. But just that pain tolerance issue for him, you know, even if you're not injuring the or exacerbating the injury, you know, that can still mess with your footwork. It can still make you a step slow. It can still interfere with your technique. And that can make you that can just impact your success out there on the field. So not to mention the continued absence of Darren Waller, which kind of rips the Giants 12 personnel package right out of the playbook. I mean, Lawrence Cager did have that touchdown. That was a very nifty play last week. But yeah, Lawrence Cager is not Darren Waller. No, absolutely not. And 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 it also takes away things that they can do with Bellinger. It makes it harder to 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 put in more blocking. It, it's just that it's uh, losing Waller was a big thing, but the giants did know that that was a risk when they traded for him because that hamstring has been an issue for Waller since for sure, since last year. Um, but with regard to, to Barkley, obviously the giants are going to try to run their offense through Barkley. The problem is that, as you said, um, you know, if you're going to focus on Barkley, there's only so much a running back can do if they're getting hit in the backfield. Um, he's actually, despite the fact that, that he hasn't always been, you know, the, the averages haven't been there. He actually has looked pretty good in his time playing overall in his, since he's returned from injury. But again, if there's just, there's only so much you can do when the team knows that the run is coming. And so the, I think, uh, Nick mentioned this in his, in his article this week about what to expect when the giants have the ball. And he said, yeah, they're going to send uh, the safety Cameron curl into the box. Uh, they're going to play aggressively against the run because they don't think that Tommy DeVito can beat them through the air at all. And the thing is that they are more likely than not, they're right. And so it's just going to be come down to Barkley being able to make some miraculous plays for the most part, unless they can, you know, beat them with play action, get someone open enough for bark for DeVito to be able to get it, get it there right away. It's it it could be a very, very long game for the Giants offense. Yeah, and I have to say, even no or particularly knowing that Saquon is playing hurt, he's got that high ankle sprain, he has made some 
very impressive plays. Maybe not the explosive plays that we all think of when we think of Saquon Barkley, but last week when the the Cowboys had the Giants backed up right on their own goal line for their first two drives, there was one play where the Dallas defenders had Barkley dead to rights in the backfield, in the end zone, and he was able mm-hmm. to basically outcut two guys and at least pick up some positive yardage and give Jamie Gillen a little bit of room to work to punt the ball away. And those are the plays. They're not glamorous. They're not highlight real plays. But I think those are the plays the Giants need from Barkley most of all, just to give the offense some kind of breath, not even a spark, just some kind of pulse so they're not consistently moving backwards. Yeah. There might be some matchups to exploit on the outside, particularly if Hyatt or Wandale Robinson or both are able to play. You know, Emmanuel Forbes, the commander's own rookie cornerback, he has been struggling. And in fact, he got ejected last week. So have to see if that kind of weighs on his mind, slows him down at all. But it really is going to come down to whether or not the Giants can stay on schedule slow down that interior pass rush for Washington and give DeVito just something to work with. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Forbes. There's also Benjamin St. I think Benjamin, right? St. Juice. They're, uh, yes. They're, they're one of their other corners who's been called for many penalties. I think they both have, um, and they have, you know, neither both of both corners have struggled. And so, that does seem like a like a a matchup that you can exploit. But first of all, obviously, as you said, if Hyatt injured, Wandale injured, I think it's more likely that Robinson plays than Hyatt, just because from what we've seen so far this season, concussion protocol usually take they, they usually takes a little bit longer to clear. Uh, whereas Wandale has kind of been listed as questionable for several, you know, last week too, I think, and several times he's been listed as questionable. So I think it's more likely that Wandale plays than Hyatt, but it's just, again, DeVito, it's just very hard for him to, to find any sort of rhythm, like, especially if he can't beat them down the field. So they're going to be sitting on the five yard passes. Yeah, exactly. And like, I like Isaiah Hodgins as a wide receiver. I think he could be a very good uh, flanker, possession receiver, a number three receiver in a more completely built offense. And Darius Slayton, he does have that vertical speed. He can stress a defense deep. Of course, he also has issues hanging onto the ball, but that's kind of a separate issue where the ball has to get to him first in order for him to drop it. Yeah, and that is kind of the the central issue for the Giants is getting the ball to the receivers, uh, getting the quarterback enough time, uh, having the offense have enough time together to build some kind of consistency and chemistry between everybody. And that really has been a struggle for the Giants. And also the fact that the, you know, mentioned this a few times over the course of the year, the foundations of the Giants offense are kind of known to the rest of the league at this point, but there's also not much the coaching staff can do about that because you can't really change schemes mid season 
when you're just trying to manage a revolving door of next man up. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it happens to be with the Giants receivers, as you mentioned about Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins. I still feel I know that people came into the season and said they don't have a they don't have a true number one. They don't have a true number one. I still feel like if you had a a receive if you had a quarterback that could read the field properly, there are opportunities on this offense even without Waller to make some plays. The biggest issue is just the quarterback position. Um, yes, you want you ideally you want to have a better uh, a top receiver who could take the top of a defense. But if you if you were able to more consistently find Darius Slayton deep when he's open or or and then there, I mean, this was more of an issue last year than this year because this year the time to throw has just been non-existent. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's it's Slayton, it's it's Hyatt, it's it's uh, you know even even using Wandale properly, like the guy gets open and he just uh, even relative to what he does, it's surprising to me that he doesn't get as he doesn't get that many targets. Um, and and Hodgins has just like totally disappeared even earlier in the season, like no one was even trying to throw to him. Um, and I was surprised by that because I know, again, he's not like the most shifty or easily separated guy, but if you need like a, a, a more of a contested catch or you're just possession, as you said, he was pretty good on third down in the red zone, things like that. Like I, I, I thought he was going to have more of a role in this offense. And I still believe that he has the capability, as you said, to be a number three, he's not supposed to be a number one, but to be a number three. And if with, uh, you know, certainly with Slayton and and Robinson, I, I feel like he could have been a reasonably decent number three. Yeah, he, Isaiah Hodgins is a good, savvy, nuanced route runner. He's got very good hands, and that's what you're looking for for a, a possession receiver. He he kind of is what the Giants wanted Ruben Randall to be way back in the day, except yeah. that Isaiah's got it going on between the ears where. Uh, we, we won't get into that, the the other <laughs> half of that uh, comparison. But yeah, I, I think this is just kind of one area where the Giants were really hurt by the injury to Tyrod Taylor in particular, because as I mentioned before, he was playing very well in a small sample size. Yeah, the I believe it was the game against Washington where he averaged 15 and a half yards per completion and the Giants hadn't seen anything like that since Eli Manning and Odell Beckham's second year together back in 2015. It had been that long since the Giants were producing explosive plays at that clip. So yeah, that I think is just one more area where injuries have really just completely derailed the season because you could see glimpses of the vision for how this team was supposed to be built. But the wheels keep falling off before they even get a chance to get put back on. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things you saw with Taylor also was what this offense could look like if you get the ball down the field, as you said, averaging a very, you know, very high yards per attempt average or yards per completion um, average, because you're just, he got the ball deep. You know, obviously he hit Hyatt. There was a game, I think there was a game in there where he hit Slayton once and almost hit him a second time deep. Just that ability, and that's something Daniel Jones has seemingly struggled with his whole career. Like, you even saw the same play to Slayton down the sideline, and he just throws it three yards out of bounds. And even even right before he got, right before he, he ruptured his Achilles. And so 
that was something that Taylor was bringing to the table. So it, it was really the Giants' offense was supposed to look like is mostly ball control and short passing, but with some calculated shots. And the thing is that even as 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 like lacking as the Giants' offense has been, as as decimated as their offensive line is. They managed to have some some semblance of success. Now, obviously, it didn't translate into a ton of points, um, but it 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 could have. That was the thing. It could have the way it was. They were playing, you know, a fumble near the goal line, some muff muff punt, whatever it was that kind of limited the ceiling of the offense. But and and also, obviously, those two incomplete, those two drives were at the goal line where they got. They got stuffed against Buffalo, or they they kind of messed up. No penalty call, whatever. But the there was there was that potential, as you're saying, to see what this offense was supposed to look like, and that injury just completely got rid of any chance they had at a respectable looking offense. Yeah, and I will be interested to see what the offense looks like this week because you know the Washington defense has undergone a pretty dramatic shift, like we said, and this is one of the first weeks in recent memory where the Giants have had some semblance of consistency on their offensive line. They actually have the same five guys out there two weeks in a row. So maybe we will see them kind of take a step forward. Tommy DeVito is actually getting meaningful practice reps. He's getting starters reps with the skill position players. And it will be interesting to see how that translates. But I don't think anybody is really hopeful for a win here. Personally, I just want to see the team be competitive. Just go out there and show that they're fighting. They're fighting for each other. They're not giving up. I actually don't even mind seeing them frustrated on the sideline because at least that means they care enough to be frustrated. Yeah, I, I got to say my my worst memory as a Giants fan was going back to 2009 and the end of that season and seeing guys just kind of not caring on the sideline or 2017 and seeing the locker room fracture. Yeah, At least now guys might be animated, they might be frustrated, that's not a terrible thing as long as Brian Dayball can keep them all together. Yeah, no, for sure. It's something you want to see. And obviously that has a lot to do with Dayball's job stability or not, is the ability to keep the locker room together. Because if it completely fractures, then you start talking about, again, are we going to have culture change and whatever it is. So you, you do really do want to see the Giants compete. It kind of was, look, losing, getting blown out by Dallas, they, they got blown out in, by Dallas in week one, too, and, and this has just been a consistent problem for them. But getting blown out by the Raiders two weeks ago was quite embarrassing. And you, you want to see the Giants at least hang in the game and not get completely crushed by opponents that are not, that are average or below average. So... I don't think it's possible to expect a win against anyone with Tommy DeVito under center, but at least uh, not like looking like a competent NFL team would be, would be nice. That, that really would be nice because I got to say the flip side of that, if the giants don't look competent, if they get blown out, if they don't manage to cover the spread in this game, that might just be the worst loss of the season. Even with the loss to Miami, the losses to Dallas, the loss to Seattle, all of that, this one might be the worst if it gets 
ugly. But yeah, Rivka, do you have anything else to add? You know, I, I just feel like it's the same story over and over again. So not much, except the one thing I'll say is that I am going to pick Washington to cover the spread. So I'm not necessarily super optimistic that the Giants will be able to do that. Um, you know, I, I just I just really think that DeVito's in over his head and that he's he's just going to be lost out there. Yeah, I, I can't even blame him, really, just based on the situation he's in, you know, good for him that he's getting to live out his dream. But yeah, it, it's kind of an impossible situation for the young man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just want, thanks again for hopping on, chatting with me for this, well, actually a little bit over a half hour at this point. And I just want to, you know, thanks everybody else for listening. Uh, like, follow, subscribe, uh, drop those five-star reviews and be sure to go on to Big Boo. Big Blue View to check out everything we've written. We've got extensive coverage, analysis of the offense, the defense. Uh, we're warming up, getting ready for the draft, all of that. So everybody, take care. Have a great day. Have a good one.